What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We had on the program, once again, Dr. Larry Malley, the president of the USAPL, and we talked about, of course, USAPL and IPF relations. So it looks like the USAPL is going to be expelled from the IPF in a extraordinary Congress meeting that will be taking place soon, and we discussed primarily that. Larry gives his insight on it, excellent guy to talk to about this, and also he does most of the talking this episode. He really has the floor on all of this. We also talk about the implications with the seemingly new IPF affiliate that is going to come in through Powerlifting America. We see we saw the logo kind of being leaked and Facebook groups that go along with it. Uh, who's running it? We discussed that. We also just get Steve's opinions on a lot of things. He actually asked most of the questions on this one. He wasn't here the first interview, so he was able to get a lot of questions in. We talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about the drug testing. We talk a lot about actual proposals that were sent to the IPF, and those were really interesting um, conversation points that uh, Dr. Larry Maley brought up. We also get through some Twitch questions as well because we were live on Twitch so we get questions directly from our listeners. We talk about potentially new weight classes. We talk about Vegas. We talk about uh, if the USAPL ends up getting expelled from the IPF, will we still have WADA testing? All really, really great information. Uh, we talk about the Pro Series. We talk about the Arnold. We talk about a lot of stuff. It's a very USAPL heavy. We are the unofficial podcast of the USAPL after all. So, fantastic episode. It's always great when we have uh, the president of the USAPL on because we get a lot of our questions answered. It's a short episode as well, so you're going to get a lot of your questions answered as well. And listen to it, start and finish. It's a very unedited podcast too because it went live on Twitch. So make sure you're listening to the entire thing to get all of those questions or everything you're curious about answered. But before we get into this podcast, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com, follow them on Instagram at Leflar, Leflar Bros Apparel, and get yourself the best powerlifting merchandise in the game. I am wearing their dad hat right now. I was wearing their joggers earlier. I look so good in my joggers. My girlfriend told me to take them off because I cannot be seen in public with these gray sweatpants. They are that good looking. All of the merchandise they release is fantastic. And you're going to go on leftlerbros.com and you're going to find out for yourself. Use promo code 2WL15 to get yourself some Left Lar Bros apparel. Use the best powerlifting promo code in the sport, 2WL15. Also, you can get Two White Lights merchandise there as well. If you go on twowhitelights.com, you're going to see the shop link. That is going to bring you directly to Left Lar Bros Apparel. And the great thing is you get to use that same promo code for all of our designs. We just came out with a Twitch and Out t-shirt. It looks fantastic to celebrate us being on Twitch, of course, but also get a new t-shirt out for our fans. Use that promo code 2WL15 on Two White Lights merchandise and Left Lar Bros Apparel. Remember that code. Also, go to lift.net and get yourself some stoic gear. I wear stoic gear in the gym and the platform, and the only reason why it is because it is the best merchandise or is the best powerlifting equipment, best knee sleeves, best singlets, best wrist wraps. I love stoic, and also for you consumers, it is affordable. You're not just paying for a logo, you're paying for quality, and use promo code ANGELO10 to save yourself some money on stoic gear gear that's on lift.net remember also go to notoriouslift.com follow them on instagram and get yourself some no slip grip notorious lip slippers 
They are the best deadlift slippers on the market for two reasons. One, they're fantastic. They're going to help you get that perfect rooting in for your deadlift. And also, you're going to look damn good deadlifting. And that's pretty much all of it. If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, feel good you play good. Deion Sanders said it, so that means it must be true. Get yourself some Notorious Lift Slippers. Use promo code AND15 to save yourself some money. That is A-N-G-15. And be on the lookout for all those drops. I think they are going to have the last drop on the all-whites. Those are beautiful. Use promo code AND15 on that. And any other new colorway they have, any new re-releases, relaunches, use that same promo code AND15 to save yourself some money. Also, be sure to follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, download our episodes, leave a five-star rating, leave a review as well. Also, we have our new and improved website. Go to twowhitelights.com, subscribe there. We're also available on Twitch for a lot of our episodes as well, so make sure you're following us on Twitch. We're really trying to cover all of our bases on the content here. And without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. promise we have what we like to call an emergency podcast on two white lights joined again by the president of the usapl dr larry malley um how are you yeah doing fine all right well we um it seems to us and i think everyone in the powerlifting world that the ipf is definitely nearing um expulsion of the usapl uh there's been I believe it's called an emergency meeting to discuss this, um, and that's primarily why you're on, and this is a good thing, because the first time you're on Two White Lights, a lot of questions were answered, and we're really just going to give you the floor to talk about it, and I think questions from Steve and I are going to flow pretty f- easily through and get more information on this for not only us, but also the people listening. So I guess might as well kick off the floor. I'm sure you have questions given everything you've heard and seen, probably saves me from talking a whole lot more than I would otherwise. Well, I mean, I guess the first immediate question is kind of where are we at? Um, I know you had mentioned to us some updates on some meetings that were going to be going down with the IPF in relation to APL and kind of what's been there and um, kind of what it's looking like going forward as the, as are we going to be affiliated or is there going to be a new affiliate? Well, there's the question to be answered and uh, the question ultimately, I guess, will be answered at the at IPF Extraordinary Congress, um, which will be held the 7th of November in Stavanger, Norway. Um, that Congress has been called for the express purpose of expelling us. So I, I expect that the answer will be coming there. As you probably know, recent years, the IPF has changed the rules for Congresses and one of them is that a quorum may be called with 20% of the members present and a vote is considered valid with two-thirds, uh, a vote for expulsion with two-thirds of the people who are present at that Congress. So honestly, I expect it to be a smaller meeting than the General Assembly that occurred with Raw Worlds, and it will be a sort of a vote up and down. One of the questions I've asked, and I have not received an answer to um, from the IPF is, um, 
so you you have us uh, up in front of these proceedings um which i will restrain myself from characterizing exactly but um you have us in front of these proceedings do we have a chance even to speak at these proceedings um, and that hasn't been answered um, because we are more than happy to present who we are and what we are and what we've done and what our thinking is in front of the Congress as a whole, and to tie that back to the 1996 Congress, where the IPF took us in for the express purpose of us being the clean federation and doing drug testing. So um, here we are all of these years later with the same issues, um, but we're on the other side of them. This is likely not going to happen, as you kind of alluded to, we are likely there's going to be this Congress meeting and there's a good chance we will be expelled um, from the IPF. I know on your end, you had mentioned uh, wanting, obviously, negotiations and open negotiations. We're going to get to some things that possibly kind of close those off to an extent. Um, But if we were not expelled over the next year, we're obviously suspended. What was kind of the hopes of the USAPL moving forward? Was there hopes of trying to kind of come to some happy medium to allow um, us to stay? Or kind of what was your thoughts there moving forward if there was some type of, of ability to communicate and negotiate? Well, our, our thoughts are this. And basically, um, since we haven't communicated with the IPF really in probably a month, one of the things that we've done, and I know there's some social media discussion of it out there, is that we've actually expanded our water testing um, considerably, actually. While we don't have the, the wherewithal financially and otherwise do all water testing for the reasons we discussed earlier, um, if we were to test at the level we are now, it would be cost prohibitive, honestly, and probably impossible um, within the, the WADA, USADA, Canadian Center for Ethics for Sports System. We just have too much activity, honestly. But we, we have investigated and in fact, implemented uh, additional WADA testing on top of the testing that we do through the WADA lab already, which is all of our elite lifters and all of our nationals. Um, so that's a sort of a, a test on our can be a full board. Um, what's its efficacy? Um, we're in early days, but um, how does that testing and its efficacy in terms of catching people, we're in the catching people business, honestly, compared to testing through the forensic laboratory. And like I said, we're in early days, but it, it looks like there's a little difference in terms of efficacy, um, but not a great deal, honestly, interestingly enough. So that's what we have been doing um, in terms of, I don't know if I want to say attempted compliance, but um, moving in that direction and seeing what's feasible and possible and what's effective for us. One of the things we would hope going forward is that um, we are our students of the water, obviously, um, and are painfully aware of what's in the IPF anti-doping rules. And those rules, interestingly, go beyond the water code. And, and so one of our hopes would be that the IPF would essentially acknowledge the limitations Code, which are that recreational lifters um, are, are not basically subject to water testing, basically. Um, and in fact, recreational lifters don't have to be tested at all. And, and let me define that for you, because I'm not talking about people who just kind of go gym and lift. Um, recreational lifters in the water code are defined as 
anyone who is not an elite level international competitor. Um, so um, using that definition, I'm not entirely comfortable with that because we have, have very dedicated lifters even at the local level. Using that definition, um, our state level competitions and our local level competitions are, are all recreational competitions under Iwataco. And, and we don't have to test those at all to be compliant. Um, we do so because we want to. Um, and we think it's necessary to the mission. Um, so we would hope for some recognition in terms of that, that we, we do all the water testing of our elite level lifters. And we do all water testing of our out of competition testing pool. All of our nationals are tested with a third party testing agency. So where's the issues of compliance? Um, I, I don't think they exist. The IPF, as I said, is, is sort of entrenched in their position. Probably the reason for that is Powerlifting America. And we talked about it before the podcast, but Robert Keller and Mike Zawalinski and several other people um, have, have incorporated a new U.S. affiliate. And in the context of negotiations, um, you aren't obligated to come to the table or to compromise in any way if you really believe you have an alternative. And so I think that's probably part of why we're stuck. So to kind of clarify what you said there, because a lot of people listening, I don't think any, hardly anyone has an idea of what powerlifting America is. I've just recently learned about it. So um, there, if you go on Facebook, there is a private Facebook group called Pride, or Powerlifting America. It was just created in September um, by Robert Keller. Robert Keller and Mike Zielinski are heading it. You mentioned to us before the podcast started, it didn't just start. It actually started back in May actually affiliated back in May before we were ever suspended or a lot of this stuff ever even came up. So what you're kind of mentioning is like there was already this out clause that the IPF could possibly have before you ever were able to enter into negotiations with them in what we consider maybe a reasonable, reasonable manner. Am I stating that correctly? Sure. America was incorporated in Florida in May. Um, and that was before we went to arbitration. Um, before we received an arbitrator's decision and um, with, with the purpose basically of uh, becoming a U.S. affiliate, um, if, um, like I said earlier, I'm a little more jaded than that, but if in fact things didn't work out with USA powerlifting. So um, as you said, um, there was already a plan B in place long before plan A failed or reached the point where it is today. Um, we, we assumed, um, although again, having been on the IPF executive off and on since 1999, it, it may be a naive assumption on my part, but we assumed that when you go into negotiations, those are sort of all things are on the table and, um, we're, we're going to work to a solution. Um, but it appears that that wasn't the case. So there's where we are today. There is in fact, uh, a corporation in Florida called Powerlifting America um, has its own Facebook page. I would tell you that the IPF is telling sponsors that they'll stand up a new U.S. affiliate the day after we're gone. Um, but the reality is they've stood, stood that affiliate up already. It does exist. So I would say that the perspective that we entered into good faith negotiations um, really probably was a sham. Um, not on our part, but on theirs. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit because this is a 
legitimate question I've had for a while because you mentioned like the, the, the clauses within WADA testing of recreational lifters. Like if I look at like the NBA, the NBA is not WADA tested, just the players that go to the Olympics. And especially even talking about all these sports like track and field, only the only Olympians who are in the testing pool for the Olympics, I believe, are tested, not college athletes. They have their own separate testing through the NCAA. Why, why, why is it that it's felt like that within powerlifting that recreate or this, this, this level goes all the way from the lowest recreational level all the way to the elite. That's why I never understood of why we really have to consider those local level meets to be at the same level. Or is that just something that you would just say you disagree with and it should not be? Well, I would disagree and say that it shouldn't be, but let me, let me talk about the professional sports just a little bit, because it's something that we offered to the IPF and we used a model of, of USA basketball and USA hockey. Um, and as, as you stated, but, but uh, let me clarify or, or amplify it just a little bit. Um, the, the athletes who go to the Olympics for USA basketball, USA hockey, and so on and so forth um, are not members of USA track and field, USA basketball, USA hockey, or any of those things until they declare themselves eligible six months out from the Olympics. So they go on about their business. And if their own federations, um, the NHL, the NFL, the, so on and so forth, um, choose to do testing, they do. And if they don't, they don't. Um, and players can opt in and out based on their collective bargaining agreements. Um, and they can opt in and out of being in that testing pool when the USOC declares them eligible. Um, they can say, you know what, I'm the number one player in the NBA, but I really don't want to do this. And so therefore, um, I don't want to be tested and I don't want to play in the Olympics and I'm going on my own way to do whatever it is that I usually do. Um, we discussed that model really at some length with the IPF. And um, in essence, it, uh, it's a question probably in terms of them of finances, right? They get to bring the best players in the world who then become eligible and go to the Olympics. And that puts butts in the seats or people in front of the live stream in this environment. Um, so they make exceptions for it. They um, altered rules to make that possible. Um, we suggested that um, we would be willing to do the same thing. Um, and in fact, um, if someone rises from the recreational level under the WADA definition to looks like an elite level, someone who's going to come to nationals has a good chance of being selected for an international team. We will put them in the pool and make the WADA level full stop. Um, and, and that um, didn't prove to be acceptable. So, so it's really, I guess, who's setting the boundaries, what their objectives are. In some ways, it, it probably comes down to money and control. Sadly enough, that's how the world works. Um, but if you um, have a system where you can control 3,000 drug tests and a, and a budget of hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that funnels through your drug testing authority, um, all the better for you, right? If you have the ability to say, um, this person 
out here at the Alaska State Championships must be tested. You have exercised a great deal of control. Um, so at the end of the day, um, that has to play as one of the factors. And, and it, I think it has to be taken in the context of the fact that the end that is justifying the IPF means is IOC recognition. Um, if they um, come to the table and say, look, there are some people who are not subject to testing, um, just like the NBA and up years, we're not going to test them, or we have no interest in testing them. It's a weaker position for them. Um, and as I said, the end justifies the means. If, if it, they believe that um, IOC recognition is going to be served by sacrificing USA powerlifting, or I would assert to you, sacrificing clean lifting in general, you have to question whether or not that's going to occur. Sorry, again, long no, answer to that's a what we want. short question. I mean, I'll give my opinion a little bit here. I mean, what you mentioned there was kind of following a FIBA or basketball model. Like, that sounds like an amazing solution to me. Because, I mean, I mean, one thing, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's any other federation under the IPF banner that operates at the scale the USAPL does. I mean, most of these other countries are operating between 200 to 2,000 lifters, and we're operating at 20,000 plus. And so it, it seems like at, 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 at different scales and magnitudes of what you're going to be doing, there's going to have to be some type of uh, adjustments to be able to allow the growth like USAPL has. Am I, am I right in saying yes. that? One of the issues that we've had in difficulty in terms of discussions is, um, so the IPF solution and, and, and in discussions with their executives drawn from a, a number of countries, which vary from, 10 lifters and one meet a year um, to maybe several thousand, honestly, in, in 20 meets a year, um, is that we have no ability to explain to them the scale. They have no conception. And so when I put out my newsletter, well, this most recent newsletter, one of the things I said is that we have had, even in the pandemic era, in 2021, 333 sanctioned meets couple have come in since then um, for 2021. Um, and when you compare that to a nation that has one national meet or two national meets and three provincial meets or whatever it is that they have, they have no capacity to understand what that means. And one of the things I said, and I have said repeatedly is if, if say I won the lottery and donated to USA power $50 million for drug testing, and I went to USADA and said, test everybody, you're all in charge. Um, they have 48 drug testing officers in the United States for everything. Um, put that in the context of some weekends, we have 20 meets. So we run into a, a, an impossibility, honestly. You can't get there from here. You can't drug test 333 meets a year or 400, more than 400 um, in our pre-pandemic era with this structure. Can't be done. So, based on I'm just doing mental math. If they only have 48 representatives with USADA, if we were to somehow say you have to test every meet, it's almost like we are using more USADA reps than all other sports on a weekly basis combined. Almost, I feel like. Like, I mean, it's almost like we would have. Well, not all all together, but if we need eight uh, eight a week, we're taking almost one eighth of their total USADA representatives for just one small niche sport while there's plenty of other Olympic sports as well? 
Um, actually, you've underestimated by half. Okay. Um, and, the and the reason is, um, so you have a competition, right? Um, but you have to have one male and one female drug doping control officers. So two have to go to every meet, um, not just one. So we would be taking up a quarter of all drug testing officers of USADA for one sport, which I don't know how many sports are under USADA, but I'm going to assume hundreds and hundreds. And for some reason, we would supposedly require a fourth of their entire yep. staff. Yep. Correct? Is according to what the IPF would want us to do. So um, I think that pretty much sums up kind of the, the scale of what I don't think some other countries understand of what we have to kind of operate at. I mean, it's like comparing a local mom and pop shop to what Amazon's yep. um, and trying to fit, fit the same logistical scale and model sure. to one. As, as some people in politics have said, obviously out there in a political deal of tension in between the U.S. and a number of other nations. And our response historically has been, um, you don't understand the imperatives of a superpower. In powerlifting, we are the superpower. Um, and that's not only based on frequency of competition, but it's based on success in competition in virtually every age division. So things look a little bit different for us. They look different because we're bigger than they are, but they look different. And here's another critical difference. Um, many of those um, are funded by their governments, mm -hmm. right? So they pick 10 elite lifters who are going to compete internationally and they fund those lifters and their national anti-doping organizations are funded by the government. And, and so it's all tied together with sort of a fund stream. One of the things that, that um, the IPF has, has stopped saying recently is go to your Ministry of Sports and ask for more money because it, it seems like over the decades they finally got the point. There is no Ministry of Sport in the United States um, that hands out money and funds sports. That doesn't exist here. Um, most sports are privately funded here. Um, for us, that's by sponsors and memberships. Um, we pay the freight. So it's a, we, we have a, a communication disconnect in, in a number. Um, that's only one. Of them. So um, in my opinion, unless Angelo has more questions, do you have any other questions about like the actual IPF USAPL situation, Angelo? Um, as far as this meeting goes, I know it's an unlikely scenario, but what happens if the USAPL is not expelled from the IPF? I know it is an unlikely scenario, but then what does that mean for the affiliate? Are you going to use that card where you are still the IPF affiliate and you're not going to allow for another USAPL affiliate? So what would be in the deck when that happens, or if that happens? Um, you, you broke up a little bit there in that, but I think what you were asking um, is... What happens if they don't expel us? What are we going to do then? Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the answer is, you know, we've we've had a chance to to through EC retreats and and discussions among our NGB to discuss sort of who we are and where we are and what we'd like to do. And you know, a lot of those things have been viable. So affiliation or no affiliation, um, we're still interested and motivated and in really some of the same things, which are developing a legitimate and sustainable pro circuit, developing an environment where people can actually make a living um, through coaching and being involved and hosting meets and 
um, making powerlifting a legitimate um, sort of financial pursuit for people. At the end of the day, um, we're, we're obviously grateful that people volunteer, but um, at some point um, when people donate hundreds of hours a year, they ought to get something back for it, um, whether that be by promoting meets or coaching people or, or if they're elite level athletes by um, raising their profile and raising our profile um, on social media and to the public and making powerlifting a, a, a bigger sport yet. If, in fact, we aren't suspended by the IPF or expelled by the IPF, um, we will continue working on the issues um, that have to do with legitimate drug testing um, and continue to um, budget as best we can to continue to expand water testing. As I said earlier, we pay the freight. Um, so it, it's not possible for us essentially to say um, we're going to go from $350,000 a year of drug testing to a million and $350,000 of drug testing a year because during the pandemic, our budget isn't even that large, full stop. Um, can't do it. But um, what we can do is tweak the system as we continue to go. Um, we can continue to audit our system and see what's effective and what isn't. And interestingly enough, um, one of the things that we sort of pride ourselves on is that our drug testing system is transparent. Um, if you ask me what the algorithm is for testing somebody at a national meet, um, I answer every time. Um, if you ask me who was tested, I point you to the drug testing database and tell you who that is. And if you ask me who we suspend, pending the completion of proceedings, because people um, have rights under our administrative proceedings, um, after the end of those proceedings, publish who fails. So um, it's a transparent system. And what that means is that we accept input from people. Obviously, someone looks at, it, uh, at who we tested nationals and says, holy hell, you didn't test this guy. And either we have a good answer, which is, um, this is Brad Gillingham. We've tested him 72 times. How the hell many times do you want us to test the same guy who's doing the same thing? Um, or we say, geez, we didn't notice that. Slip through the cracks, right? Because we're all human. Um, and and our algorithm um, didn't catch him. They escaped us, and what are we going to do? We're going to pop them into the OMT pool and test them anyway. Um, doesn't solve the issue of nationals, but it solves the issue of legitimacy. And, and so we have a great deal more flexibility in terms of that. We're going to keep doing that. Um, as, I, as I said at the top, um, we're in a catching business on a sun. What we want more than any other thing is for our platform to be clean at every level, um, whether you be a local level person in a 10 person meet or whether you be at nationals. Well, I'm kind of riding off of that. I'll give you kind of the floor to kind of talk about this more and kind of set it up. People have tried on social media to say that neither the IPF or the USAPL and their actions are caring about the lifters. I'm, I would argue that the USAPL is very much caring about their lifters. They're caring about those 99% of lifters who are never go to worlds that want a clean platform. Now, does this affect the 1% of the lifters that are going to world have the opportunity? Possibly. I'm not saying you don't care about them. I'm saying it does affect them. But your priority is that 99.5% of those 20,000 plus lifters of keeping the clean platform there, yep. correct? I, I think, it, as I said to Angelo one time before, um, we would be lousy business people if we let one half of 1% of our people um, dictate the conditions for the other 99.5% of them. 
First, that's where the balance of our income comes from, um, international programming and, and having a, uh, international competition and competitors is very expensive for us. Um, it doesn't pay for itself. In fact, it doesn't come even close to paying for itself. We lose hundreds of thousands of dollars a year um, participating in the IPF. Um, but at the end of the day, we're more than happy to do that because it provides a progression for people. But, but that being said, and uh, to be historical for a moment, most people are not old enough to remember why the ADFBA started our parent organization. And it was because of the, the circumstances out there um, where drug use was common at every level. And so a guy like me, for example, who went to a meet and wasn't using, stood no chance, whether it be competing at the University of Alaska Open, um, that was my first competition, um, or um, whether it be me competing at nationals or me having a shot to be on an international team. And, and so at the end of the day, we want it to be fair. We want everybody to rise to whatever level their ability takes them to. And their motivation, um, and so that's the that's the mission I think we serve. Um, we do care about that. Um, we do care about whether it be fair, and we and beyond that, I mean, over the past several years, you probably noticed that we have um, done a number of things to standardize meets um, to make them look the same and feel the same, and that that has been um, in terms of standardizing the referee process. Um, it's been in terms of standardizing our rules. We essentially follow IPF technical rules, um, but we've done other things too. We've invested in, um, you notice USA powerlifting backdrops everywhere. Um, we bought those because um, we want a lifter to come to a meet and walk in and look at a professional venue and be able to take pictures and have their friends know where they are, what they're doing. Um, so we do care. So kind of looking at things moving forward, there's been the announcement of the Pro Series. You've talked about it. Do you have any more updates on kind of how that's going to be expanded? I mean, what we talked about on Two White Lights and kind of our general understanding is there's going to be somewhere around maybe five to six pro meets a year. And the hope is maybe that kind of comes together to be like uh, the Arnold is our Olympia in the sense of like bodybuilding has their Olympia. Is that kind of the, the, the thought process or is there any more you can kind of allude to on kind of the planning of the pro series? Um, I, I guess I would say we're not ready to release the plans just yet, but in general, your characterization is right. Um, we, what we anticipate basically is the kickoff of the season being nationals and the end of the season being the Arnold. Um, there'll be various stops in between. So that's, that's really our thought. And um, the, the basis, I guess, of our thinking is that um, it'll be open to various categories of lifters we haven't forgot the bench pressers and we haven't forgot the equipped lifters, um, but there will be places for them to go in terms of a series ending up at the Arnold where um, our social media presence is, is huge, honestly. Um, one of the things that we've done at the Arnold over what we've added to that is the concept that um, we're going to. Larry, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you for one second. You, you, we, you cut out for about 15 seconds there. Right when you started talking about the Arnold, you froze. If you'd be, if you'd be able to go back to the, the start of talking about what you started doing at the Arnold and, and repeat that, please. Sure. What I said was, well, I, I back up because I'm not sure where I lost it. 
Um, but the Arnold, we see the Arnold as the end or the apex series. Um, and what I said, I think thereafter was, um, you, you may or may not be aware, but over the last several years, we've had the highest, second highest prize money at the Arnold after Strongman. Um, and what we've done in, in terms of conceptualizing the pro series is to, to add series money to that. So not only are we going to basically pay out for the Arnold um, as a stop on the pro series, but it will be the culmination of the pro series where the, the people who have participated in that series earn points over the course of the year. Um, and there will be basically a grand champion um, in the various divisions. So that's that's how we're thinking about it at this point. Very cool. Angela, do you have anything to go off of that? Um, well, yeah, the, with the Pro Series developing, uh, I have received questions from a lot of lifters on whether or not the USAPL will reach out and still try to be a part of some other international affiliate. Um, has, there any been, has there been any discussions on that, or is it just too early to tell? Well, I can tell you that we've received a number of offers from other affiliates or other international organizations. Um, it, it's not clear to me that um, we have a, a really good match necessarily. As, as an IPF affiliate, as, and I would point out we're still the IPF affiliate, it, it would be presumptuous to do that at this point. Mm -hmm. um, if, in fact, we're expelled, um, will we start having discussions with people? We could. If we can, we can arrive at a match that, that essentially continues to serve our mission. Obviously, there are unlimited and untested organizations out there. Some of them have um, test divisions. Those are not necessarily incompatible with what we want to do. In, in order for us to um, see them as um, legitimate in terms of, of our perspective on the world, um, legitimate drug testing at every level, uh, we would have to know that um, really, they see the world, at least within those divisions, the same way we do. I'm not sure we're there at this point. Not to say we will Well, is there. it possible that, again, this is this is the assumption that USAPL will be expelled. We are not yet. That USAPL is just the, the overriding federation and allows other international federations to come into it with their top-level lifters. Certainly a possibility. Okay. Because um, I think that's kind of what I mean, like... I mean, for instance, one person that's talked about, I'm sure you know who he is, that cannot compete at IPF Worlds, that everyone wants to see go against Ashton is we want to see Rondell Hunt versus Ashton Rouska. We would love to see Rondell being able to come over to the U.S., compete in the USAPL, go head-to-head -head with Ashton, and that's just not been the case. It hasn't been able to, to kind of come together. So that's kind of what I think a lot of people's questions are, like, okay, if the USAPL is now separating on its own entity, if we could be allowed to have some of those lifters who, who don't have an international route, um, to be able to come to compete. So it sounds like yeah. the answer is yes. Possibility. Okay. What would, what would the process be with that, too? Uh, as far as, because I've had a number of international lifters, like, already reach out to Two White Lights myself, of like, okay, can I compete at a USAPL meet? Is it as simple as just signing up for one, or is there um, a longer process for those lifters? Who are, I think, under the... Uh, under the notion that they are going to leave their uh, respected IPF affiliate just to compete at a USAPL meet? Well, let me talk first about how the IPF system works. So in the IPF system, um, you may participate in another affiliate's um, competitions, basically, uh, with the permission of, of the person, the uh, place you're going to and permission from 
place that you're coming from. Um, and the reason being, so say somebody comes from some other IPF affiliate and they come to the U.S. and they compete and we drug test them and they fail, that country is ultimately responsible. Um, so um, they have to have permission to come here and we have to agree that they should be able to come here and compete. Um, within USA Powerlifting, as an example, if this is of another country, you can't compete in our nationals because a foreign national can't win our nationals. Um, but there are other competitions you can compete in. Um, we routinely approve people with their affiliates permission to come and compete at the local level and up to the state level. Um, and many of the 200 foreign members of USA Powerlifting um, who have their own country's affiliate for whatever reason, their students going to school here or um, their immigrant or whatever the reason. If we weren't the affiliate, that's a whole different ball game, I suspect. So the consequences wouldn't be to us. Um, you've opened a door and now you're going to let a whole bunch of international comp competitors come in because it doesn't matter to us. What are they going to do? Expel us? I mean, really. Um, but um, the consequences are potentially potentially accrued to those lifters who leave their IPF affiliate or maybe never were an IPF member, um, nation participant. Um, and so the IPF could basically suspend them or their national federation could. Um, and then they would have to weigh the odds. Does it matter to me? Um, would I rather go compete in the Arnold um, and be on the big stage in front of 40,000 people? Or do I want to come back and compete in my national federation uh, with 25 lifters in it? You know, at that point, it becomes their call. I, I suspect in the future, if we're not the affiliate, we will be much more lenient in terms of allowing people to come and compete. Um, probably still because of our rules, um, they can't compete other than as guests at our nationals. But um, but there's nothing to say that um, a non-IPF affiliate couldn't invite someone to compete in our pro series um, or in one of our pro meets. Possibility. Yeah, I, I, and I can say from I, I direct meets, and I can say from experience that. It depends on the federation um, or the affiliate. Sometimes it's not very easy to get permission. I actually had to kick out a lifter because it, it for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, he was emailing his affiliate trying to get permission and never did they respond to him. And then he had to eventually a day before I had to, to drop him from the meet, unfortunately, because he could not get his affiliate to respond and, and give him permission to compete in a USAPL meet. So um, I guess shift a little bit. Um, I know, I think I speak for Angelo. When I saw Vegas or Nationals in Vegas, I'm extremely excited. So, um, obviously, one, that's super cool. But do you have anything planned um, for this up-and-coming Nationals or kind of how it's laid out that you kind of want to point out that it's kind of helping to kind of push the production or the experience of Nationals forward from past well, years? Being in Vegas is going to be its own experience, I suspect, um, for those who have not been um, but the other thing I would tell you, just as a as sort of a review of it, we're bringing back prime time. We, we didn't do that in Daytona Beach because we didn't honestly know how the world was going to be anyway. Um, but we'll be bringing back prime time. Um, and our nationals, as I said, is the kickoff of our pro series. So that's a thing. Um, and it's Vegas. I mean, there are an uh, infinite number of things to do and people will lift their day and I'm sure they will be out on the town the rest of the time. So 
I'll, I'll, I'll speak for a lot of people. If you guys keep doing it in Vegas every year, I would not be against that. We, we've I mean, I, there's been, there's been kind of like banter for a while of like, like I, I personally like Chicago. Obviously Angela loves Chicago since he's there. I'm, I was, I was, I lived in Chicago for eight years. So I liked being back there, but some people were, sometimes it was, it was in places that were a bit more remote um, but Vegas is not remote. I think that allows the, the opportunity for obviously elite level lifters want to go to nationals, but a lot of other people go because they want the experience of nationals and it becomes this vacation as well as spectator vacationing. Um, it gives them a whole reason to be able to go out there and spectate for the whole week and have other things to do. So I, I absolutely love the idea of Vegas. So, um, this is actually a personal question looking at the roster. Um, I saw it broken up, um, how it was broken up. It was, it's more elongated throughout the week versus I think this year obviously was packed into more days. Um, one, are we going back to four platforms um, like in previous years to allow larger sessions? And then two, do we have, when it says like raw 63 and whatnot, is that the inclusion of all masters lifters as well on those, or is there going to be more spots this year for open lifters? Well, we're, we're still kicking the schedule around. And obviously one of the things that drives a schedule is what the interest is and what we what we believe the interest to be the the open divisions as we plan them right now are the open divisions um, with masters and equipped and and bench press and what have you separate. Um, will it stay that way? Um, if if we thought we had uh, a meet with two thousand people coming, we would have to scratch our heads and figure out how to deal with that. Um, if logistically speaking, I can tell you that anything beyond four platforms is is basically sort of a nightmare. Um, we've had periods where we've had five, and I've been to high school meets with thirteen platforms, and um, it, it, at some point it becomes unmanageable. Um, it's more extended days because it, at some point the people who actually work have to eat and sleep, um, and one of the drivers and, and one of the things that we've dealt with, um, especially emerging from the pandemic, and one of the questions people ask was, why do, why do you put the raw nationals at the same time as raw worlds? And we're looking for a place that will have us for the number of days it has enough size. And most people didn't. Um, so, you know, you have to look where it's possible to go and when they can accommodate you. Um, and so it's a, it's a balancing act. Um, could we go to a small town in Missouri? Um, anytime we wanted, sure we could, um, but we don't want to go to a small town in Missouri necessarily. No offense to Missouri. I'm from Missouri. I'm taking offense right now. Well, there you <laughs> I'm go. kidding. I'm, I'm yeah, kidding. You couldn't, yeah. I completely understand. We do not need to come here. I've been to no, Springfield, Missouri. Springfield, Missouri. That's, uh, that's, that's about the nice thing I could say about <laughs> Springfield, Missouri. Yep. I'm going to spend two wonderful weeks in Kingsville. So, um, I understand the pain, but um, but we want to go to Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Our lifters want to go there, and we want to go there, and so we have to adjust our schedule as best we can and try to get in there. Um, will it will it be better? One of the things a pandemic brought lack of ability to plan because um, we didn't know if the world would open and what the restrictions would look like, and um, if venues would even have people. And there are still places where we would like to go where we can't have a national meet. Um, so um, one of the reasons we went to Daytona Beach was because Florida was sort of open for business when we wanted to start again. Um, those are all the kind of things that we balance with time. We like the idea of going to Vegas and 
Chicago when we when we went there before. We went there because it was a central hub. People had the opportunity to go there rather than trying to find small flights to small airports or drive 16 hours to get there. Um, so it was convenient. It allowed people to come. Um, those are the kind of things that we're going to look for in the future. Accessibility and desirability, honestly. And kind of going with kind of timing, um, this is something that I think Angela actually mentioned to me um, in regards to the NGB meeting. Um, one of the reasons for the combination, I believe, of combining equipped and raw and masters is uh, volunteer availability, because that's always going to be a huge issue, huge issue is can you get all these volunteers to come out for all, all these needs and it's easier to combine that, as well as I'm assuming it's probably easier in the summer to be able to get those volunteers to come out. Am I correct on that? Of just timing wise, it makes it a lot easier to be able to yeah. run that meet. Um, a lot of our people are, um, as an example, school teachers who if we say come to a meet for a week in right in the middle of the school year, that's an impossibility for them. So it, it is easier well, for farmers, but easier for school teachers and, and other folks um, tend to plan vacations either around the holidays or in the summer. So um, we're fortunate enough that a lot of them tend to plan their vacations with us as a stop in it. Uh, a question I'll ask real quick. We told you we're live streaming on Twitch. I know you weren't super familiar with it, but we got a chat going on and some people asking questions. And one that's popped up multiple times, it's, it's speculation on if we were no longer the affiliate, the thoughts of if we would possibly go back to the old weight classes, because I know a lot of people prefer those. Um, I, I prefer them. I think they, they tend to fit the general body, uh, the body averages a bit better. Um, is that a thought that you are looking at or you, you tend to to like the current weight classes that USAPL has? I, I hate the current weight classes and I hated it when they started. Um, <laughs> question. I thought the logic was stupid. Um, apologies to Robert Wills because he designed them, but um, I thought the logic was stupid. Um, and the logic basically was you have weight classes where there are a lot of small people in it that are small weight classes, and the IOC is not going to like that. But um, when we got rid of the women's 44-kilo class, we also got rid of the women's 44-kilo lifters. When we got rid of the men's 52-kilo class, all those lifters went away, or they gained a lot of weight, and most of them got beaten um, because that's the size they are, right? Um, but the the flip side of that issue and i have to say we don't have a great deal of wisdom is um, there's an issue of comparability if if you acknowledge that that many of the best lifters in the world are in the ipf it's it's difficult to compare what a 59 kilo lifter is versus a 60 kilo lifter or a 63 kilo woman um, versus a 60 kilo woman so the direct comparability factor goes away we like to think that that in a lot of ways the united states as it is in many sports is the engine that makes the world go it's our competition from behind and and the sort of a, a mix of people that we have that that makes us good at things um, um if if we want to be able to compare ourselves to the world it it's an advantage probably to be directly comparable how that argument will play out i don't know but there they're good arguments both directions. I know that a lot of the heavier lifters um, were disenfranchised when we got rid of the 125 back in the ADFPA days. We got rid of the 145 kilo weight class. Those people either had to diet or 
of them gained 50 pounds so they could be a legitimate super at, at some cost to themselves, honestly. If you look at the distribution of super heavyweight lifters and women's unlimited lifters, there are those who just barely exceed the weight class limit and those who are much, much larger than that. Um, winners in the men's super heavies tend pushing 400. The next step down is 264. That's a huge gulf. Um, admittedly, um, seems to be uh, sort of an injustice to those guys that, that weigh 310 pounds. Um, they got an uphill run. Short answer is I don't know the answer, but we're kicking it around. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are curious about that going forward. Uh, looking back at the chat, we have one coming from the strength athlete. I think you mentioned this. I just want clarification to make sure they're informed. If the USAPL is no longer the IPF affiliate, would there be any WADA testing at all? Okay. We have no reason to quit WADA testing because we, we think it provides a useful alternative to us. Um, obviously, we want our trust our testing to go as far as we can. Um, but here's something that people don't know. Um, so we do our testing in, uh, at the local level, at least some of it now, um, at, a, at an accredited forensic laboratory. Here's an interesting, funny thing that most people also don't know. If you're an accredited forensic laboratory, you go through accreditation every 90 days. Um, and so somebody comes along and they look at your lab and they do performance testing and see if your lab is still accurate, right? Um, in the forensic world, the idea that your laboratory is inaccurate makes legal cases go away. And nobody wants that. But we do a good deal of testing in those labs because it honestly costs less. Um, here's what people don't know, that in positive tests, we send them to the WADA lab for con confirmation. So with rare exceptions, it would be if, if you fail for 29 substances, um, we, we probably don't need to confirm that when we can suspend you on just one of those. It's, it's a waste of time and money, honestly, um, for an answer that we know we're going to get. And, and the, the technology um, in a forensic lab is no different than in a WADA lab. That's a, that's a funny thing. Um, it's just not WADA accredited. And, and here's, a, here's an artifact about WADA. Um, if you want to be an accredited WADA lab, you have to be examined by WADA, and you have to front load the WADA accreditation fees for four years. Those are millions of dollars. Um, so to be a WADA lab, you really have to have an investment in having that name out there that says, I am a WADA lab. It has to make business sense for you. Many labs could meet those criteria with no trouble, but they don't want to spend the money to do it and deal with the hassle because um, they're subject to accreditation already. Um, but yeah, we'll continue water testing probably at the same level we are now because we like it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of lifters, well, I think still a lot of lifters will be happy to hear that even in spite of maybe some of their negative opinions on WADA. But it's still the, I think, I even think the lifter's choice I'd say it's just maintaining a clean platform. Um, so, yeah, that, that's some good information there. Yep. It, WADA has done some good things and, and some less than good things. Um, probably the, the best thing that has come out of WADA, I have an internet unstable message here, but am I still there? Very good. Yes. Okay. Um, one of the best things to come out is that they have advanced considerably the research into substances and their publication of the banned substance list um, really was a hallmark. Prior to that, it was the IOC banned substance list, which um, was subject to many of the, the inconsistencies 
of the IOC and subject, honestly, to private research in terms of what should be on it and what shouldn't be on it. Um, WADA conducts its own research in terms of its banned substance list. That has moved the the drug-tested world forward by generations, I think. Um, The politics I could leave alone. (laughs) So um, do you have any other questions, Angelo? Um, just a selfish one. Where's I think a this... lot of what I had has been answered. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just a selfish one. Where's I don't know if this was announced, but where's the venue in Vegas that Nationals is being held at? It is announced. It, what, they, what is they it? I hope it's announced because I can't remember. I can, I can look it up real quick. I, I was actually looking at it the other day because I was on the Nationals page. That's why I was looking at the schedule and whatnot, and it definitely had the uh, – the venue on there, so I'll pull it up real quick. All right, sweet. But, uh, but, let me ask the boss here. Where, where's the venue at Vegas? Westgate. Las Vegas Resort and Casino. Exactly. Thank you. Very nice. That's where it is. All right. Excited to hear that. Reason being, they would accommodate us. Um, they have hosted USA Weightlifting a number of times, and they're big enough, honestly. I'll ask this for Angelo because... This is right down his alley. Has there been a sports book set up for USA powerlifting betting for Vegas Nationals? Joe. Same time that would that would right be right down Angelo's alley right there. Well, we haven't done it, but wouldn't surprise me to see it. Yeah, that would. Uh... We, we actually had uh, for Nationals for Nationals this year. We actually had people reaching out to us asking if we'd be the the unofficial bookies of Nationals, which we. Very quickly turned down because we don't want go to jail. Uh, legal action taken against us. Yeah, so yeah, it's a good question. It'll be interesting to watch. Um, I would think that um, some of the matchups at nationals would draw some interest. Yeah, I already got the odds. I, I mean, I, I the odds are made. I just they're not putting it public. So um, yeah, that might be. <laughs> that might that might be. I mean, if if the USAPL ever needs a sports book maker, I think Two White Lights would be the first one to volunteer for it. So, um, if that's if that's a event, if that's a, a venue USAPL wants to we'll, go to, we'll keep that in. All right, we'll we'll definitely keep it in mind. All right, well that's good to hear. And a lot of development. I think my only other question, unless Angela's. So my only other question, I'll just kind of just because I know I believe Larry, you said the Arnold is your absolute favorite meet, and we've got it coming back. I was actually just talking to people about it today because I was getting excited about it. It's it is for sure coming. Sounds like it's coming back March fourth yep. or the sixth. Um, any special plans? I mean, I, usually we've had battles. I don't obviously don't think we can have that this year. Is are we going to have like the 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 raw challenge and the pro American and the Grand Prix again? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Um, and, and whatever they give us for the main stage. Okay. And any, yeah. are you allowed to tell us the qualifying totals? Is that known information yet, or we got to wait for the release of that later this year? We got to wait. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of people, based on the chat, have been really happy about this conversation. Thank you again for coming on Two White Lights. Uh, any developments that happen soon, especially with the Pro Series, we would love to have you on again sometime. And, really uh, get this out to the lifters because the lifters appreciate this, I think, more than anything we do on Two White Lights. All right. Sounds good. All right. Have a wonderful night. Uh, We'll see you soon. All right. Take it easy. You too. All right. Live stream ended.